Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jason takes it himself, look at him turn back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankle. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown. Watson, a magician. Mahomes winds it up, wide open as Hill. Welcome back here to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag, your online wagering solutions. I am your host, Ari Mayrov. The NFL season marches on, and once again this past week, we saw a flurry of action. From the devastating Dak Prescott injury to Alex Smith returning from injury to the Falcons firing Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov to the Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas who did not play this past week after he got into it with a teammate to the Jets cutting Le'Veon Bell to Patriots quarterback Cam Newton returning from COVID and much much more. A lot happened over the last week. I want to hit on a couple of those headlines before we get into this episode of my special guest. First of all, the Falcons firing Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov. It was not shocking, especially after the 0-5 start. Some people did think that there was a chance Arthur Blank will be patient once again like he has shown us in the past and wait until after the season. That did not happen. This season for Dimitrov and Quinn was a playoffs or bust year. And we kind of knew that already, especially after last year, where the team had to come out and announce that Quinn and Dimitrov were safe and were going to be retained. Whenever a team does that, that is a signal that the team considered moving on, but ultimately decided to keep them. The same exact thing is happening right now in Detroit. Last year, the Lions had to announce that Quinn and Patricia were going to come back. Both those guys are currently on the hot seat. There was one thing that I did take away from this, and... You know, Dimitrov and Quinn, first of all, are great people. They had success there in Atlanta. Dimitrov was was there since 2008. He was the one who drafted Matt Ryan third overall in 08. He was the fifth longest tenured GM before getting fired. So he's been around for a while. But the one takeaway I had from all of this was Arthur Blank, the Falcons owner. He spoke to reporters after making this move. And he didn't fully commit to Matt Ryan as the franchise quarterback once the team hires a new general manager and a head coach. That was picked up by a lot of people. The thing that people did not pick up was the way he said it. And the way he said it made me think that Matt Ryan could possibly be contemplating retirement after the season. Listen to the way Arthur Blank said it. This was the quote that he told reporters. He said the following, We will have to see. But then again, that's going to be a decision at the end of the season that will be part of it will be up to the player and part of it will be up to the coaching staff. And whether or not Matt can keep himself together and God willing, he will be able to do that and he will be able to play at the level that he is capable of playing at. So... Blank made it sound like part of this will come down to Matt Ryan, which really makes me think that Matt Ryan has told people there that he could possibly be calling it quits. Why will part of this decision have to do with Matt Ryan? He's under contract for the next three or four years. That caught my eye. Ryan has struggled. He will have a new head coach. He will have a new general manager. He will be 36 years old next year. The Falcons will likely have a top pick. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, the top two 
two quarterbacks are both from Georgia. Keep that in mind. So that caught my eye, and I will for sure be monitoring that. The next thing I want to talk about here, Dak Prescott, the injury. Obviously, it's terrible. Obviously, it's awful. We all feel terrible for him. The entire NFL world felt horrible for him. Out for the season. He's expected to make a full recovery, and that is really what matters here. But the first thing that a lot of people talked about when this happened was that Dak never got a long-term deal from the Cowboys. It would be a major upset if the Cowboys don't tag him again this offseason. The tag is at $37.7 million, so that will total to over $69 million in guaranteed money over the last two years for Dak Prescott. Then he will once again be in the same scenario that he was in this season where he will either play on the tag or the team will have a chance to try to hammer out a long-term extension before a July deadline. As long as his rehab goes well as we all expect, financially he'll be fine and I do believe he will be back even better and stronger than before. Unless something crazy happens like Andy Dalton goes on some crazy MVP run and the Cowboys make the Super Bowl and the Cowboys win the Super Bowl with Andy Dalton. Dak Prescott is the quarterback for the Cowboys for the future. He will get paid eventually. The number one concern for everyone right now is that he fully recovers. The last thing I want to talk about here is the Jets cutting Le'Veon Bell. So last week we had Damon Woody here on the podcast and he of course played for the Jets. He roots for the Jets now as an analyst and of course they have been an utter disaster for a very very long time. But when he was on here last week I told him that the current mess that the Jets have really started when they did not fire Mike McCadden along with Todd Bowles in 2019. The Le'Veon Bell signing had no chance of working from the start because we immediately found out when that signing happened that Adam Gase did not want Le'Veon Bell. He did not want to pay him the amount of money that he got. When you go back to look at the that offseason, Mike McCagnan, he participated in the head coaching search. He let... He was the guy who ran for agency and he spent a boatload of money on Bell, on CJ Mosley, and a bunch of other players, players that Adam Gase did not want to pay the amount of money that they got. He traded for Kalecio Semele, he extended Quincy Anunua, and then the team also let him run the draft in which they had the third overall pick, and with that pick, he selected Quinnen Williams, and Quinnen Williams has not panned out so far the way the Jets wanted him to when they used that third overall pick. Their third round pick in that draft was a player who was cut before even playing in a regular season game. Jockey Polite, the Jets cut him before he even played in a regular season game. So what Mike McCagnan did to the Jets that offseason was an utter disaster and the Jets put him in a forced marriage with Adam Gase which was absolutely awful. Gase hated the amount of money that was paid to CJ Mosley. He hated the amount of money that was paid to Le'Veon Bell. Those reports came out immediately after those signings were made. And then if you look at the other moves that were made, Quincy Anunua, when he got his extension, he barely played after that extension because he kept on getting hurt. Kelechio Semele, if you remember last year, he played in a couple of games. He got hurt. The Jets wanted him to continue to play, and he wanted to have surgery. They got into a whole fight. 
fight. It got into a grievance. Eventually, they cut him. What Joe Douglas, when Joe Douglas was hired as a general manager of the Jets, he inherited a circus. Over the last year, he has been trying to tear it all down and he wants to do it in the correct way of how to build a team. And I'm going to talk about this more with my guest Jordan Reed here on the podcast. But listen, it's going to take time, but Jets fans have to wait this out. Joe Douglas has a vision. He has barely done anything that he wants with this team so far because there are so many things that had to be fixed before he got started. After this season is over, they're most likely going to hire a new head coach. They have cap. They have draft picks. They have two first round picks this year. They have two first round picks next year. It looks like they already hit a home run with their left tackle, Mikai Becton, in the first round. There are some things to be proud of. A lot that has to be fixed up. But Joe Douglas is someone who many people think really highly of. Jets fans will have to wait this out and let him do his thing the right way he's not going to do what Mike McCagnon did where he went out and signed Tremaine Johnson and signed Le'Veon Bell and signed TJ Mosley and signed all these big contracts and he made all these different trades that did not work out that is not what Joe Douglas is going to do he's going to try to build his team the way I think he's going to do it is the way that Chris Ballard has built his team with the Colts he's going to build it smartly and the right way it's going to take some time but you're going to have to trust him and I do believe he is the guy who is going to fix up the Jets he's going to hire his own coach eventually so Jets fans be patient I know it's been a while but eventually you're going to be happy all right, on to this week's guest, and for this week's episode, I brought on Jordan Reed, who is the draft analyst at the Draft Network. He has been on here once before. He's one of my favorite draft analysts out there. He was here before the draft, before the 2020 draft in April, and now here we are five weeks into the NFL season, and we've seen a bunch of rookies. We've seen the quarterbacks. We've seen the receivers. We've seen a bunch of players, and I wanted to get him on to talk about all the rookies and what he's seen so far from various players around the NFL. Of course, we've seen Herbert and Burrow. We just saw Chase Claypool score four touchdowns on Sunday. We had Patrick Queen, the Ravens linebacker. He won Defensive Player of the Week this past week. Claypool was Offensive Player of the Week. These are rookies winning awards here in Week 5 of the NFL regular season after not having a preseason, after not having a camp. So it's been impressive so far by a bunch of players. We've also had some disappointments so far like Isaiah Simmons in Arizona. We've barely heard his name, so I asked Jordan about that as well. We also talked about the Jets situation, and Matt Rule in Carolina, three straight wins. He came in from a college team, and he has been doing a great job so far. We discussed all of that with Jordan. Before we go to Jordan, though, a quick word from our sponsors. DoorDash is the app that brings the food you are craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, for our listeners here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast, you can get $5 off plus zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the app and use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Again, that is $5 off plus zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and you enter the code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U. 
E-W-I-R-E. This week's episode is also brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag. You might not be at the football games this year, right? We know some stadiums are opening up, but most stadiums are still not allowing fans. However, you can still be in on the action at betonline.ag. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this football season from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Head to BetOnline.ag today and go take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses and more that they are offering. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so now here it is. Here is my full discussion with the draft analyst from the Draft Network, Jordan Reed, as we discussed Joe Burrow, we discussed Justin Herbert, we discussed C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Chase Claypool, Isaiah Simmons, and much, much more from around the NFL. Here it is, my full discussion with Jordan Reed. All right, joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast. He is a senior NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network and the host of the Read Option Podcast. Back here for a second time, it is Jordan Reed. Jordan, welcome back to the podcast. What's going on? Thanks for having me on. And, you know, we were talking a little bit pre-show fast. It's crazy, everything that's going on right now. But it's just a pleasure to be back on here as always. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you know, you told me this before, but we just read that LSU in Florida just got postponed, a game that I know you are looking forward to. The NFL, we are all taking it day by day over here with, you know, every morning we wake up hoping not to hear of any positive tests. So um, a lot going on. But as I said, this is the second time you're on the podcast. You're on here before the draft. Here we are now five weeks into the NFL season. So we've gotten to see a bunch of these rookies play. And I wanted to talk to you about some of them and what you've seen so far in this very weird year so far. So we obviously won't get to everyone, but let's start with the quarterbacks. Number one overall pick. I want to start with Joe Burrow. He has shown flashes. You know, people in Cincinnati believe he's the future. He's the guy. It was a rough past week versus the Ravens, but as I said, fans are very excited. However, he is on pace to be sacked a whopping 70 times this year. What have you seen so far from last year's Heisman Trophy winner? Well, I think we've seen a lot of similar things that we saw from him at LSU as far as being able to create inside and outside of the pocket, being able to elude pressure in all types of situations, and then just having supreme trust in a lot of the weapons that he has there. And I think he has a really good surrounding cast there in Cincinnati. A.J. Green isn't what he once was, but I still think he has some good secondary wide receivers there. Tyler Boyd has been a really good option for him, and T. Higgins is starting to come around a little bit here soon, or lately as well, too. So um, I think he's shown a lot of the similar qualities, but the thing that he's not really used to is just taking a beating like this. And like you said, he's on pace for 70 sacks, I believe it is, which would be up there with David Carr. I believe it is. Mm-hmm. I think David Carr took 72 in the season. I think that's the record uh, back when he was playing in the early 2000s. So he's definitely in a situation of where they just have to find him some protection. And I think that's exactly what their offseason has to surround this year. And it needs to revolve around Joe Burrow and just find him some protection just because it's really hard taking a beating like that. But I think it shows a lot about just his mental psyche of how he's able to stand in there and still deliver as well. But I think the thing that needs to work on the most is just the downfield dynamic. They have not been good on downfield throws. And what you notice is that a lot of teams are just starting to send the house at them and then play in the underneath areas and clogging 
those areas and just not having or respecting their deep game at all. Yeah, and you mentioned the amount of times that he has been brought down. He has been sacked 22 times already so far this year. You mentioned David Carr. He has the record. It's either 72 times or 76 times he was sacked in his rookie year back in 2002 with the Texans. And when you look at this Bengals schedule, you look at what they have coming up. They have the Colts defensive line this week. They still have the Steelers twice. They still have the Ravens again. They have Washington's defensive line as well. So with that offensive line versus those defensive lines, it could be a bit of a long season here for Joe Burrow, but he has shown flashes so far this year, and I know that Bengals fans are very excited for the future. That brings me up here to the quarterback that most people did not think we will see this early, and that is Justin Herbert. No win so far in four games, but he has shined. He looks like he's poised. He has been impressive. When you evaluated him at Oregon, could you have envisioned him doing this well this early? Well, I'll be honest. I didn't expect him having this type of success early on, but if you just talk to people in the facility there and then all the teammates that he was around, even being around him at the Senior Bowl when I was there, Nobody had any bad things to say about him. And if you just look at his off-the-field resume, he's a guy that was a biology major. Uh, he's supremely smart. And it was surprising that, that he surprised a lot of people that he went back for his senior year just because a lot of people thought he was pro-ready at the time. And he was probably going to be the number one pick before the whole Joe Burrow thing even came about. So um, with him, though, what you notice with him is that uh, his smarts has really transitioned to the next level. And that's something that I always thought he had in his game. He was always a guy that – got through his progressions very cleanly, handled pressure really well. But the thing that he was knocked for the most is just, for whatever reason, a lot of people didn't think he was going to be a leader. But he was more of a lead-by-example guy as opposed to a rah-rah guy, meaning that he's just not one of those guys that's just going to be an extrovert, um, get on his teammates when times get hard or anything like that. He's just a guy that's going to be a lead-by-example type, which is okay at that position. And he's just a little bit different as far as the, the type of leadership that he does have. But as far as galvanizing the troops, he's definitely done that, even though the record does not reflect. They've lost a lot of close games. But the thing that I always say was tricky about his evaluation is that you have to be able to just evaluate the traits away from the offense that he's in. And what I mean by that is at Oregon, he was really relied upon to operate really an east and west offense. There was a lot of screens, quick bubble screens, running back screens, and then perimeter screens, as opposed to just allowing him to attack downfield. And then what you also notice is that Oregon had one of the worst drop rates in the country. So whenever he did push the ball down the field, they just weren't catching the ball. But now with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, and then all these weapons he has on the perimeter, he has reliable guys now. So we're really starting to see the true potential of Justin Herbert. You know, when you actually look at what Justin Herbert has been doing, here's the thing that I find to be impressive. You mentioned the weapons. He's been doing a lot of it without most of his key starters. Like Austin Eckler has been out. He threw, I believe it was three touchdowns last week or two weeks ago, I should say, against Tampa Bay to undrafted guys. Keenan Allen got hurt this past week. He got a touchdown to him, um, but still, he got hurt. Trey Turner was out. Brian Bulaga was out. Their center, Marquise Pounty's out for the year. There's a lot to be excited about, but as you said, finishing has been an issue for this team. If you look at since the start of the 2019 season, the Chargers are 3-13 and 
in one score games. It's an unbelievable stat. They just cannot finish those games late in the games in the fourth quarter. They're close, but they can't get over the hump. But, um, you know, Justin Herbert is there. A lot to be excited about, as I said, and they have the Jacksonville Jaguars here this week at home. The quarterback who was taken before Herbert was, of course, Tua Tagovailoa. He went fifth overall. We have not seen him yet, but he's been fully cleared. He has not been on the injury report. Dolphins have won two in a row now, and we all know how players and coaches all love Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do you think we'll end up seeing Tua this year, or should the Dolphins stick to plan and stay patient here? I think they should stay patient, and I say that just because of the significant injury that Tua did suffer, I mean, that, that brutal hip injury that he suffered against Mississippi State. But the great thing about it is that as time goes on, he's further distanced from that injury. And I think Tua, he had a, a skill set that I really think translated well to the NFL, but it was just the durability and the injury question mark with him. But now I think this is a blessing in disguise for him just because he's learning behind what I think is a pro's pro and a supreme leader and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And they couldn't ask for a better situation for him just because he's learning from a great guy, a locker room guy and a supreme leader that's also cheering for him to get better. And he's, he's not one of those guys that's going to be the jealous type to withhold information or anything like that from him. To a, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a huge fan of him. He shares plenty of information with him. He shares experiences with him. And of course, I'm sure they're examining the playbook and practice film and game film together with each other. So not only is he learning, but he's further distancing from that injury that he suffered at Mississippi State. But I do expect him to be the starter going into next season, even though Ryan Fitzpatrick is playing really well this year. Mm -hmm. Fitzpatrick is always fun. Let me ask you this. What do you think of the Dolphins rebuild overall so far? Because looking at this team, they have they've won two in a row. They have the Jets this week. They have the Texans first and second round pick next year. I feel like at this rate, we could be talking about the Dolphins as a very hot team at this time next year. Yeah, I think so. But it all just revolves around the the tag of Iloa factor just because he's a question mark right now. We don't know what he's going to be. And there was some talk about him being the starter going into the Chargers game, especially with Ryan Fitzpatrick struggling at the time. But Fix has really picked it up since the Thursday night game against Jacksonville when they got the big win over them. And he's been lights out since that point and got a big win. Uh, last week over the 49ers, which was highly unexpected by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, but I think with this rebuild as a whole, I think they're definitely on the right track. And I think they really needed to get uh, these first round picks right. Uh, as far as Austin Jackson, who showed some promise, he's injured now, but he showed some promise uh, at left tackle. He was placed on IR the other day, but mm -hmm. just getting that out of him. And then we don't know what two is, but I think they've hit on some other players. Solomon Kindly and Robert Hunt have played really well for them on the right side. And I'm not even sure if they expected them to play or come along this quickly. So and the thing with, with Tula is that you all, you have to have supreme protection for him. And that's what he had at Alabama. And then he has to have really good weapons on the perimeter. And I think they have some good players on the perimeter. Devontae Parker and Preston Williams has played better here of late. So I think this offense has a lot of promise as far as going into the future. You get two first-round picks this year as well. And then you have some extra-round picks in the second round as well. So they should be really excited. Now, they do need some help on defense. I think their secondary does need some work. Xavier Howard and Byron Jones have played better. Uh, but I think they could get an upgrade at safety. And I think the biggest position of need that they have right now is just edge rusher. They're just not getting a lot of production from any guys off of the edge. So I think the rebuild is on track, but they need some fillers at certain spots. 
Yeah, for sure. And when you look at this Dolphins team, you know, next year, you look at their cap situation. They'll be in the middle of the pack when it comes to that. You mentioned the picks. They have two first-round picks. They have two second-round picks. If the Texans keep on losing their 1-4 and four right now, that pick is going to be fairly high. So a lot to be excited there as well in Miami with the Dolphins. Let's talk about some receivers. So many were taken in the draft and we'll talk about a few right now. But let me ask you this first. It might be tough to handpick one, but who has impressed you the most with how they're playing and how they're fitting in early this season? Oh, this is a really good question just because a lot of those guys have been good, especially the ones in the first round. Um, I think the guy that has surprisingly impressed me the most is Chase Claypool from the Steelers. And I'll tell you why, just because he was a guy that a lot of people really thought that he wasn't even a receiver coming out. There were some people that he thought that thought he probably was going to transition to tight end just because they didn't think he was a supreme route runner. He was flexible enough to survive out on the perimeter. And if you go back and watch his last few games at Notre Dame, I think that's really where he peaked as far as, you know, his draft prospect status and then how well he played coming into the pre-draft process. And then he goes down and he plays really well uh, at the senior bowl and then he performs really well at the combine as well. And then we know how well the Steelers uh, developed their receivers there. So I think he's just in the right form. He's in the right form. He landed with the right team as well. And now we're seeing him flourish. Claypool was the 11th wide receiver taken. He had four touchdowns this past week. I saw I think it was Daniel Jeremiah comparing him to Pittsburgh's new Plaxico Burris this past week. What has made Pittsburgh so successful at finding these wide receivers outside the first round? <laughs> when you find out, let me know, because I'm trying <laughs> to crack the formula on that as well. But whether it's Heinz Ward or Santonio Holmes or even Antonio Brown, he was at his peak, Juju Smith-Schuster, when he was early on in the height of you know his production as well. They've just been able to churn out receivers consistently, and they've been hit or miss. Here and there, they have a mixture of semi coats, and you know James Washington hasn't been what they thought he would. So there's a little bit of mixture of hit or misses in there, I should say. But for the overwhelming part of the last two decades, there's been a whole bunch of overwhelming hits as well. So I don't know exactly what the formula is, but that's something I definitely want to research and just try to pick somebody's brain in there that's inside of the building, just because they're phenomenal at selecting wide receiver talent. Right. I mean, also Deontay Johnson, who has flashed, Martavis yes. Bryant, if he didn't have any of the trouble, he was also a guy who was rising. The one time they did use a first-round pick, it was Antonio Holmes, and he, of course, won Super Bowl MVP. So they've had a lot of success with that position. Let's talk about the, the first wide receiver taken in the draft. That was Henry Ruggs. Some people questioned that pick, but it's been clear so far that when he's on the field, the Raiders' offense has been just so much more dynamic. It's 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 like a completely different offense out there, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what it brings to the table. And if you just go back and watch him against Alabama, he was a little bit different than some of the other guys that they had on the totem pole there. But I think him just adding him to this offense, you just see a different dynamic that he brings to the table. And you saw that against the Kansas City Chiefs of how he just has that easy speed that you're looking for down the field. And I think the person that he's helping the most is Derek Carr, obviously, just because Carr is a guy that is known that it that's known as not taking a lot of chances down the field, but with rugs, all you have to do is just lob it up to him. He goes, he goes and gets it. And you saw it with the 72-yard touchdown against the Chiefs last week or a week ago. And then he only has six catches for 177 yards this year. But he's only played in three games. I believe he's been hurt. But if you just add him into the mixture of that offense, he just brings a different type of dynamic. And I think that's exactly what he brings to the table. Yep. And, you know, Henry Ruggs, I remember, like, during that entire process where, like, 
people were saying that the Raiders should have went after Lamb or they should have went after Judy. I know he's been hurt. He's missed two games, I believe, but we just saw what he did against Kansas City. And assuming he could stay healthy, as you said, I mean, Derek Carr is just a different quarterback when he's out there. The Raiders offense as a whole is just different. I saw you put up a post, I believe it was today, about Justin Jefferson, the Vikings wide receiver, and how we kept on talking about him as a slot wide receiver only. So far with the Vikings, I know they don't have Stephon Diggs there, but Jefferson has really had his moments there, and he's played as if he's not even a rookie at times. Absolutely. And, you know, just doing that article that I posted on Draft Network yesterday morning, I mean, it was really fascinating just sticking or just discovering some of the things that he's been into. So just looking at the numbers, according to Pro Football Focus, he's played out wide or outside 151 reps and then 86 in the slot. But he was a great litmus test of just understanding or wrongly, you know, just putting a person as a square peg in a round hole. And what I mean by that is you don't want to wrongly place or label a person as being something only as that simply because that's all, that's all they were asked to do. And that's all he was asked to do at LSU, just play slot predominantly. He did play a little bit outside, but for the most part, he was inside. But the main reason for that is because they had Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall on the outside. And we see how well Terrace Marshall is playing for LSU now. And then Jamar Chase is probably going to end up being a top 10 and top 15 selection when the draft rolls around here in 2021. So with Jefferson, it was just a matter of they wanted to figure out a way to get all three of those guys on the field at the same time. So they just put Jefferson on the inside. So now, Going into his pre-draft process, all people were saying is, oh, he's only a slot-only guy. Uh, anytime that he played outside, he just, didn't have, he just didn't have a lot of good reps there. But it was just a matter of not really having a bunch of experience out there. But now in Minnesota, he's just completely flourishing just because they're using him in the slot. They're using him on the outside. But he's had experience at both, and he's just he's playing really well. And it's just really happy or really good to see that from him. Yeah, and before this week's game against Seattle, he entered the week ninth in the NFL in receiving yards. And um, his 348 receiving yards through the first four games of the season are the most by a rookie since 2003. So he's been off to a a great start, and he's had his moments with Kirk Cousins uh, playing alongside with Adam Thielen. The Vikings um, have a future star there, even though Stephon Diggs is no longer there. The receiver who does have the most receiving yards among rookies right now is C.D. Lamb. And I believe he has the potential to be the best of all these guys here from all the rookies drafted just because they have Cooper, they have Gallup, they're using C.D. Lamb as their number three guy in the slot, and he has been feasting there. Obviously, no Dak for the rest of the year is horrible, but I feel like C.D. has the potential to just go off. Yeah, I mean, he's an absolute stud, man. That's the simple way to put it for him, but everything that he did at Oklahoma has completely that transpired and been the same way and translated into the Cowboys offense. Now they're predominantly using him in the slot for the most part, but they're really taking advantage of all of his abilities just because he's returning punts as well, which is something that he did briefly at Oklahoma as well. But you see the loose movements as far as being able to contort his body and just catch the ball and just make some gruesome looking body ailments to where he can just twist and turn and just catch the ball no matter where the ball is according to his catch radius. He has very soft hands. He runs fantastic routes, which is just something that he's always done. But I think the thing that's translated the best is just how competitive he is at the catch point. And the speed of the game has not affected him at all. And that's why I think he's a future wide receiver one. 
Um, I know they paid Amari Cooper a lot of money, but I think the future of that wide receiver corp is definitely going to be Lamb and Gallup, depending on if they decide to re-sign Gallup, which I think they should do. Yeah, there's still some time until we get to that point of Gallup, and we all saw on Sunday how he came up clutch with those two huge catches against the Giants to set up the game-winning field goal. When you think about Gallup, Cooper, CeeDee Lamb together, and also Zeke in the backfield, it's pretty scary. Of course, now they're going to have Andy Dalton, who's going to be called upon to take over at quarterback. They have the Arizona Cardinals here on Monday night this week. Speaking of the Cardinals, I want to flip over to the defense and talk about Isaiah Simmons. When you were on the podcast before the draft, we spoke about Simmons, and you mentioned how he has to land with a defensive coordinator that will know how to use a chess piece like him. So far in Arizona, he has played in all five games, but he has been out there for only 58 total defensive snaps. Is this a Vance Joseph problem, or is this a he's now ready for the next level type of thing? What is going on over here? So if you remember our conversation pre-draft, I named some names like Obi Melifonwu, Mark Barron, and plenty of others as well of how I was really fearful of how he could end up being one of those guys if he landed with a defensive coordinator that really didn't learn or know how to use his talents. And I think that's probably the case here in Arizona of where I think they probably wrongly placed him at a position. And I was really surprised just reading through some of the preseason reports and the training camp reports of how they were playing him predominantly at Mike linebacker. I was taken away. I was blown away by that just because I think he's a player that does not need to play inside the box just because he's not a very physical player as far as playing through contact. You want him to be able to just attack with as much space as humanly possible. I think he plays much better as far as a space player. But this was my biggest fear with him of how even though you don't specialize in one certain position, you can really fall into a fault of really uh, at the hands of a defensive coordinator as far as, you know, not being able to play uh, as far as not being a master of none and just being a specialist in certain areas. So I think this is a situation that he has fell into right now. And if you go back and watch him against the 49ers, I think, I mean, Kyle Shanahan just ran circles around him with those running backs out of the backfield. He was just clueless as far as what was going on there. And it's a situation of where they're trying to play him inside, and he's just not that type of player just because he's not very physical. And he's a player you probably want to play somewhere on the deeper thirds range as far mm-hmm. as a safety or even an outside linebacker just because he's not an overly physical type of player. So, um, like I said, this was always my biggest fear with him of just going somewhere that didn't know how to utilize his talents as far as a utility player, but him not specializing in one position and Arizona trying to make him specialize at that Mike linebacker position has hampered him so far. You know, it's interesting because they've had injuries at safety and they still didn't put him there, which I found to be odd. Cliff Kingsbury was asked about Simmons, I think it was yesterday, and he said it's still a work in progress on how they're going to figure out his staff. So, so far it has not really worked out, and you were on it in the pre-draft process. I'm pretty sure you mentioned the... Panthers as one team and then the Giants as another team as a potential fit there in the top 10. You didn't mention the Cardinals and so far we really have not seen much of him. Um, A defensive player who we have seen a lot of and he has been tremendous is Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. I'm still confused as to how he dropped all the way to 28. What were your evaluations on him back then in the draft process and how big of a gem have the Ravens found here? Yeah, I was a tremendous fan of Patrick Queen coming out just because he checks all the boxes of everything that you're looking for in a modern day linebacker. He can run sideline to sideline. He can cover. 
Uh, he's very physical at the point of attack. He loves taking on blockers. But the biggest thing with him that he needed to work on was just shedding blocks. I think that was one of his biggest weaknesses coming out just because when guys were able to square him up and then fit him up, he had some troubles with disengaging against them. But I think he's worked on that and he's done much better than that as a rookie here early on. But I think fit was something that helped him tremendously. And just slipping to as far as he did was a blessing in disguise for him just because he goes to a tremendous defense, one that I think is always going to be near the tops in the league. And they just needed somebody else in the middle of that defense just because they haven't had that Mike linebacker that they could that they could depend on in a very long time since the days of C.J. Mosley. And with Patrick Queen going into the middle of that defense, I just think he fell into a great situation. Yeah, you know, it's 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 crazy because, you know, this past week we, we there was a lot of talk about him going head-to-head against Joe Burrow, his former college teammate. He got the best of it here in the first game. I know he was talking a lot about it um, before the game. So in this game, he had a 53-yard um, fumble return for a touchdown. He forced a fumble. He recovered a fumble. Um, he sacked Joe Burrow. He had nine tackles. And as I said, he was defensive player of the week as well. I want to talk about a coach who came in from college, and that's Matt Rule, because, you know, the Panthers, they start 0-2. They've won three in a row, despite not having McCaffrey. I said throughout the offseason that if there's one team that I really have no idea what to expect from them, it's Carolina because of all the new faces. Rule has really taken this team from the ground up, and they're playing hard, and they're winning games. What have you seen from Matt Rule? And, you know, when he came in from college to the NFL, did you think this was going to work? I was a little bit skeptical, I will say that. But I think with him signing a six-year deal, I think that made me ease my skepticism a little bit more just because Rule has always been known as a guy that builds teams from the ground up. He did it when he was at Baylor, and he also did it at Temple as well. And that's a situation of where the Panthers entered this season as well. Everybody knew that they were going to be in a rebuild situation. And this roster is playing much better than a lot of people thought they would be. Nobody expected them to be three and two at this point. But I want to give a little bit of credit to Teddy Bridgewater as well, the quarterback mm-hmm. there, just because he's playing really well. And I think for a team, if you're looking for a quarterback that you just want a team to stay afloat and then get back on track as far as a rebuild standpoint, and then you just want stability at the position, I think Teddy is definitely going to be your guy. And Matt Rule was just gushing over Teddy. And even going back to his days when he was at Louisville, he said he kept track with him there. So um, it was really good to see both of those guys meshing really well. But as far as Rule as a co- – or excuse me, an a NFL head coaching prospect, I think that uh, this is not – I don't think it should be surprising just because he's known as a guy that just is able to build teams from the ground up. And that's exactly what the Panthers were headed towards this year. And they have a very promising future as well. They had an all-defensive draft last year the mm-hmm. first time in a very I think the first time in NFL history, history that happened yeah. of where a team spent all seven of their draft picks on the defensive side of the ball so they had a clear plan as far as they want to build the defense up first and then they built up the offense through free agency for the most part so it's going to be very inter- interesting to see where the future of that team goes but I think they have a very bright future just because of that division it's kind of on the downswing in my opinion as far as windows go and what I mean by that is I think the Saints are on the back stretch of their window with Drew Brees uh, look like he's dwindling a little bit from the arm strength standpoint and ability standpoint. We know the Bucks probably have a two to three year window. And then with the Falcons, we don't know what they're going to be from here on out. So I think the Panthers are in a prime opportunity within the next two to three years to really own that division. It's a good point, actually. I never thought of it like that. You know, I'm here in New York. So, so Matt Rule's name is being brought up again now because 
back last year, Rule interviewed for the Jets job and the Jets had interest and Rule had interest, but it never materialized for various reasons. And now, of course, we see what Rule is doing there. We see what Adam Gase is doing here with the Jets. L- let me ask you about this Jets team. You know, they just released Le'Veon Bell. It's a team that is trending towards having a top three pick. Where do you stand on Sam Darnold being the franchise quarterback for this team? Because here in New York, open the papers here. The talk is already about the draft, about Trevor Lawrence, about Trey Field. Where do you stand on Darnold? I think it's just a matter of where they end up picking in the draft. And we know it's probably going to end up being a top three pick just because they're not going to win more than one or two games this year the way it's looking right now. Uh, But with Sam Darnold, I think it's a very interesting case as far as his future. And I say that just because they have to make a decision on his fifth-year option here soon, and I'm not sure if he's shown enough for them to extend or exercise that fifth-year option. And we know with him being a top-three selection, they're going to have to pay him $30-plus million, which I just don't think he's worth or shown enough for them to exercise that right now. And then you think about the opposite end of the spectrum. Now you're staring at a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields. And now if I'm in Joe Douglas' situation, I would entertain trades for him. And this is my biggest reason why, just because – with these fifth-year options, you have to make a decision on Sam Darnold. But if, let's say, you're in position to take a Trevor Lawrence, now you're starting back over that rookie clock as far as on their contract. So now you have Trevor Lawrence under contract or Justin Fields, whoever they decide to select for the next four to five years. And now we know that the, the biggest weapon to roster building in the NFL is a cheap quarterback. The Seattle Seahawks started this with Russell Wilson, and I think the Jets needing so much help. If they have that quarterback on a rookie deal, now you're talking about just being able to fill so many other spots on your roster while having a very promising future under center at quarterback. I think, I think Sam Darnold is very talented, but I just think with him upcoming for a payday and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, me having a cheap quarterback for the next four to five years while I'm trying to rebuild a team while I'm under five more years left on my deal. If I'm Joe Douglas, I just would have, I would rather have the Trevor Lawrence with Justin Fields dynamic as opposed to making the decision to pay Sam Darnold. Darnold will um, miss this week's game once again versus the Dolphins with that shoulder injury. Ultimately, this decision will come down to Joe Douglas. And I tweeted this last night after they released Le'Veon Bell. And I really believe this, that Joe Douglas has a vision. He'll build this team the correct way. He inherited a massive mess from the previous regime with Mike McCagnin. He has been cleaning that up over the last year. They have draft picks. They have cap space. And it's inevitable that he will be picking his own head coach this offseason. Are you on the same boat as me? Because some Jets fans are losing patience here. Oh, absolutely. And I think he's a guy that's very proven as far as a guy that's earned his stripes. He spent a lot of time in Baltimore and also Philadelphia. So we know... He knows the lay of the land and then the intricacies of what goes behind roster building. And I think he definitely has a plan, but Jets fans just have to be patient. And we know, and you firmly know in New York, New Yorkers are not very patient with their, with their franchises. They want instant, they want instant success, but if they're able to get in position to land a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields, I think that would exponentially help their rebuild, especially if they're able to get Trevor Lawrence, but Jets fans just have to continue to be patient just because, I said this to multiple people when just discussing the Jets. When Joe Douglas took over, I said this is a three-year rebuild at minimum. Just looking at the roster, he's going to have to tear it down. And they just lack depth at so many so many important positions that I think getting Makai Beckton, I think that was big for them. We're still waiting to see what Denzel Mims can be. 
Um, I think they have some other good players on the roster that can help for the future. But I just think with them lacking depth at so many crucial spots, this is a long-term rebuild. But Jets just have to have patience with that. And I think with Adam Gase, I think that's another dynamic that they just have to rid themselves of eventually. But I have a little conspiracy theory that they they want to keep Gates just because they're going to be put in the worst position possible to end up getting the number one overall or the best position possible to get the number one overall pick as far as things are going right now. So I think he's going to end up finishing out the season as crazy as that does sound, but they're going to be in position to get the number one overall pick, which without a doubt is going to be Trevor Lawrence. Right. And, you know, I, I've said this as well. I don't think they fire him this year just because I really don't know who would be the interim head coach on that staff. So right. I do feel like he's going to end up um, staying there. My tweet yesterday when I put this out about Douglas, I ended it with patience and a bunch of Jets fans don't want to hear that anymore. But, you know, as you said, I mean, Joe Douglas is going to do this the right way. I don't feel like he's going to go in the route where let's just spend a bunch of money for agency. I think he's going to build his team from the ground up um, as well. And he's going to do it the way it's supposed to be done. Similar to what Chris Ballard has done in, in Indianapolis. That's the way I envision this happening. He's already hit a home run with Mikai Becton, it appears. And um, a lot more questions to be answered there. I want to wrap this up with one final question with the Jets. You know, we have an opening right now in Houston. We're going to have an opening eventually with the Jets. Which job is more enticing? Because the Jets... They have the picks, they have the cap, but the Texans have the quarterback, but their draft capital and their cap situation is not in the best shape. I think it just depends on the job security there. Honestly, uh, as a general manager, I think, uh, I think the Jets will be more enticing, but it's just the New York media factor of things that really help deter a lot of things. And it's just a matter of patience. And I don't know how much patience Woody Johnson is going to have if I'm a GM walk through the door there, if I'm in Joe Douglas's shoes. But I think the one thing that makes the Houston job way more enticing, and this is a big factor, is Deshaun Watson. You already know you have one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL already on your roster. But the great thing about the Houston job is that the lack of draft capital ends after your first year there. So they get all their picks back in 2021. And even though you're not going to be able to build a lot of depth this year just because you don't have a your first pick isn't until the third round, but this is the last year of them not having those picks. So that's the great thing about the Houston job. And then you also have Deshaun Watson already in the building. So you have the most important position on the roster figured out already. You have all of your picks back next year as well. So I think Houston will be a little bit more enticing, honestly, if I was a head coach or a GM. But if you're a true rebuilder and want to take on challenges or like putting a lot of puzzle pieces together, despite the chaos around you, the Jets job is definitely going to be more enticing. Interesting. One more thing here, actually, before I let you go. The Atlanta Falcons job opened up this past week. Would you put that ahead of Houston and the Jets? I would. And I put up, well, it wasn't a poll. I put up a question on Twitter. I believe it was about a week ago. And I discussed five jobs. So it was Detroit. It was Atlanta. Um, it was the Jets. Uh, it was the Jaguars. And then also, um, I forget the last team that I mentioned, and the, the, the five teams that probably are going to have job openings this year. But Atlanta was the one that was the most intriguing to me. And I'll tell you why. So you have Matt Ryan in place. And I know Matt Ryan has not played well this year. And I don't think he's supremely the root of the problem there, but you already have a person that is already there that can be a placeholder. But if you're able to get a top five pick, let's just say a Justin Fields falls into your lap with the number two or number three overall pick, or even a Trey Lance, if he ends up going top five, you already have your bridge quarterback in place with Matt Ryan. It can be a smooth transition to one of these younger quarterbacks. And then I think you already have a roster that is decent. I think it's kind of overrated um, as far as in some spots, but I think they have building blocks on both sides of the ball. I know Julio Jones is an older guy right now, and he suffers some nagging injuries, but I still think he's one of the best wide receivers in the game. 
They have a young star, I think, in Calvin Ridley. And then the offensive line has really come together here recently with all those first-round picks up there. So they have they have some really good pieces on offense, and I think they have two good players on defense and Deion Jones and Grady Jarrett as well. So after that, you really just have to trust yourself as far as uh, being a developer and then just getting some talent in the building as well. So I think the Atlanta job is very intriguing. It's just a matter of being able to – uh, being able to sustain Matt Ryan there. And I say sustain just because he has, I think, a $50 million dead cap hit after this year. So you're not going to be able to move him in the offseason. He's going to be in an Alex Smith type of situation before he took over for Mahomes. And I think Atlanta should treat it the exact same way. I will say one more thing here, that when Arthur Blank spoke to reporters this week, it was interesting that he didn't fully commit to Matt Ryan, but he also mentioned that Matt Ryan has to be okay with his body, which I found to be interesting because it made me get the sense that could there be a chance that he's considering retirement? I don't know if I'm overthinking this. I don't know if you saw this. Did you Did you hear when Arthur Blank spoke to reporters? I did not. You did not. So he, he, for some reason, mentioned Matt Ryan, but he also mentioned it's, it's going to be Matt's decision as well, which I found mm-hmm. to be weird, and nobody picked up on it. But it's something interesting that I was thinking about. Obviously, he's not had the same year as usual. The entire team has struggled, but I found that to be interesting. Still some time until we get to that point, but um, it's something that we should be keeping an eye on. All right, Jordan, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast here today. Everyone can follow you on Twitter. It is at NFL. your content at thedraftnetwork.com, and of course, your podcast, The Read Option Podcast. Jordan, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. So that was Jordan Reed of the Draft Network, one of the great draft analysts out there, one of my favorites. As I said in the beginning, special thanks to him for coming here on the podcast this week. The man knows his stuff. He's always grinding away, studying tape, talking to people. He knows his stuff. One of my favorite follows on Twitter at NFL. Go check him out because he really does amazing work, work that I really, really respect. That does it here for this week's My Sports Update Football Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for downloading. I really, really appreciate it. If you thought the NFL was not already hectic enough with a bunch of things going on, the NFL trade deadline is in under three weeks. Some people think it won't be as hectic as previous years, which could be true. This year's COVID guideline says that if a player is traded, he cannot enter his new team's facility until he has six consecutive days of negative COVID tests. So almost a week, you'll have to wait until you get the player you're traded for. But there are some people who believe there will be moves just because of the cap going down next year potentially to as low as $175 million. So teams might be looking to unload some players from their rosters. A team like the Falcons who are 0-5. A team like the Jets who are 0-5. So you never know what could end up happening with the NFL. Always buckle up your seatbelt because anything could happen. There's always things going on as always make sure you're not only following the my sports update twitter page but you also have notifications on so you don't miss anything notable from around the national football league i am your host ari marov i'll be back for another episode next week for another special guest until then have a great rest of your week enjoy week six of the nfl season and i'll talk to you all next week This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. 
Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts.